0: Mother Earth is psychedelic. Her body is covered with psychoactive, sacred medicine. Can psychedelics help us become more conscious and loving parents, partners, lovers, and leaders? Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, the Psychedelic Mom, a mother and entrepreneur partnering with Mother Earth's sacred plant medicines to heal, awaken, and learn to live in alignment to my truth. Psychedelic literally means soul revealing. What reveals the soul to oneself is psychedelic. I invite you to join me in deep conversations with leaders, healers, seekers, and other parents. I will share my journey, the wisdom, practices, medicines, and mistakes that have changed my life and personal stories of others on this wild path. We are the medicine needed to birth the more beautiful world we know is possible. Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom podcast. I'm here today with Amber Capone. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today. Where are you in the world? I am coming to you today from San Diego and um, traveling almost every other week. So it's
0: great to be home. So that's your home base.
1: Yeah, we split time between Texas and California. Our daughter goes to college here in San Diego. And so that's what prompted more time in California. But we're primarily based out of uh, San Diego right now.
0: So I brought you on today because, Amber, you started Vets, which is a organization that supports veterans in many different ways. And I know that your husband was a Navy SEAL. And at some point came home and once he separated from doing that work, he really suffered. And you kind of made it your mission to not only save your family, but also then work in a grassroots way to help other militaries, families support the lives of veterans and their health and well-being. And I have heard that one of the things that veterans have been really leaning on for well-being after service is earth medicines. Is that part of what you're doing is working with veterans to heal some of the trauma from military service?
1: Yeah. In fact, I think it actually goes back to the days before military service in a lot of cases. I have known my husband, we've been together since I was 17 years old, so well beyond half of our lives at this point. And I don't think we ever envisioned our life taking this track, whether that was spending 13 years in the SEAL teams and deploying seven times in the global war on terror or running a nonprofit focused around psychedelics and mental health for veterans. But it's certainly been the most humbling honor of our lives to do that. And at some point along the way, it did occur to me that Marcus was the most capable human that I had ever met I thought he was largely unbreakable but we were in a tailspin that he was not capable of getting uh, himself out of or our family out of and so I relied heavily on western medicine doctors military leaders whatnot to point the way and that wasn't working out very well He tried several things unsuccessfully in the Western medical model because that's what we were accustomed to and most comfortable with. And his training was really being unconventional and thinking outside the box. So at some point, we did start thinking outside the box. And I learned about psychedelic therapies from a friend and his wife who had been down this path. And at the time, I thought it was absolutely crazy. But when you get so desperate and you, or trying everything and for someone like Marcus who's used to being a high performer used to being able to attain his goals this was like the an elusive goal that was making him more and more frustrated and despondent as he would try this or that or talk therapy or pharmaceuticals, which prompted other pharmaceuticals. And we just found ourselves on this merry-go-round of like never ending insanity. And I could tell that he was clearly thinking like nothing will ever help me. There's no hope. And so that hopelessness is very dangerous. And I certainly started to fear that Marcus would take his own life. It felt imminent. And I circled back on the conversation that I had with a friend, about a year prior and I thought this is truly my last ditch effort because I was trying to help him but he was like a wounded animal and he'd lash out at me for trying to help and it was miserable and I knew that as a mom I had to choose stability for my children even if I was willing to put up with the craziness. They needed me to be stable, and they deserved that, especially after war deployments and years spent with Marcus gone and training and deploying and whatnot. So I approached him about it again, and he was far more open to it the second time around. I thought, if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to leave him. At the same time, I had very little hope that
0: anything would work. And how many years was he out, and had you been in this cycle with him? At that point, four years. And what were you witnessing? What was the marriage like? What were the kids seeing? What were you experiencing that led you to a place of like, I have to get out? Sounds like a crazy idea, but I'm willing to go here.
1: I was really seeing things that were probably there largely for the number of years proceeding but we had not been together for sometimes up to 300 days a year so i really wasn't privy to the cognitive challenges the mood outbursts the depression the forgetfulness the alcohol you know his drinking was certainly problematic we tried to become more of like a normal family after his service we were very disconnected, but I was also seeing things for the first time that were pretty alarming. And at the time, his primary diagnosis was like post-traumatic stress disorder. But that never truly fully resonated with me because he just, to me, seemed to be geared a little bit differently and wasn't hypervigilant, wasn't remorseful about what had happened overseas. He really loved his job. He really loved to deploy. I was seeing things that were more worrisome in terms of his cognition and his complete lack of executive functioning, his debilitating migraine headaches. And I learned about something called interface astroglial scarring in 2016. So this was like three years into the struggle. One of his friends had taken his life and the autopsy was released in our community, which showed this pattern of blast injury, brought on by the blast waves from any sort of explosion, weapons, fire. It's different than like a contact injury, but he had that too. He had 15 years of football followed by 13 years as a breacher. And so I really started to just dig in and do the due diligence and realize that this was probably a brain thing.
0: So what you're saying, just so I understand, this non-contact injury is based on the force after an explosion and what's how it hits the head and the body?
1: Yeah, it sends like this wave, this percussion wave through the brain. And that is when things started to really make sense to me. And so I started getting him into brain clinics. He went to, I think, five total. And they were great for diagnostics, but it was ultimately more frustrating for him to be given the same sort of diagnostics without any sort of follow up or you know what to do and so when we found and finally tried psychedelic therapy I didn't know what it would take care of or what it would help I just needed a reprieve I had always held on to hope that the person that I met and fell in love with and wanted to remember would always somehow like be found in there but it was very complicated at that point we had grown apart really dramatically it was we were existing under the same roof.
0: Well, that does a toll, all of that. Yeah. And how many children? Two. Two children. And when you started to consider psychedelics, someone threw that idea out to you, where were you led to go in that kind of research? And were you going to take it together? Was he going to do this on his own? What were the thoughts? Where were you being led? It was
1: very much something that he was going to do on his own, but I was supporting him and doing all of the research and due diligence for him. I was researching everything except psychedelics because I thought this was a brain thing and surely a brain clinic would help. And what, how does hyperbaric oxygen come into play? And how does, how do magnets come into play? And like all of these things that were here in this country, psychedelics were completely foreign to me, but we had this one trusted couple who, had got walked this path before us. And they were dear friends, and we trusted them completely. And so I didn't do a lot of due diligence around psychedelics. We just whatever he did, whatever they pursued, I was willing to take a chance on that.
0: And so what happened going down this earth medicine psychedelic path? What was the medicine and what were the results right off the bat?
1: So what that friend did was a combination of Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT in Mexico. And Marcus did some research, of course, and came to the conclusion like, okay, well, these really were psychedelics, maybe not Ibogaine or 5-MeO-DMT specifically, but like psychedelics, generally speaking, LSD, psilocybin, whatnot, were heavily researched in the 50s and 60s, and then of course shut down with the Controlled Substances Act in 1970. So he was like, okay, well, there's substantive information that exists. And so that certainly made him feel better. But the Ibogaine of 5 meo DMT was just a shot in the dark. That's what our friend did. He knew where to go in terms of what retreat clinic. And how many years ago was this? 2017, ironically, on Veterans Day. So we're coming up on six years this November 11th.
0: And where did you go? Is that clinic still open?
1: No, we're not working with that clinic, but there are other clinics operating safely. We really keep the location and the name and everything private.
0: So there you are. For anybody that doesn't know, Ibogaine has incredible potential for healing, is an incredibly powerful medicine. And then 5-MeO, I'm not sure if he did the synthetic version of 5-MeO-DMT or Bufo.
1: Yeah, he's done both. The first time was um, organic. And of course, we're certainly cognizant of the toad population and how over harvested these poor toads are. And so the clinic that most of our grant recipients are going to has switched to synthetic. And Marcus has also done synthetic on his repeat visits, which has been equally as transformative as the organic.
0: He finally went down. Did you go with him on this journey down to Mexico?
1: I did go in the following day, but I did not go in for the administration. And so I remember taking him to the airport and dropping him off. And he said to me, like, don't think that I'm going to come out like a changed person. So at that point, too, I had very little hope left. I really just needed a reprieve to figure out, like, okay, what next? And when he got out of the car, I just remember like just falling on the steering wheel and just being like, this is it. I know this is it. So when I left the following day, I didn't know what to expect. But the friend, the wife of our friend, had uh, picked me up at the airport and I had a total freak out in the car on the way to see Marcus And I said, I don't think I can go. Like, this is all on the line. Like, I don't want to walk in and be disappointed. I don't know what to expect. Because it was this or
0: nothing. Yeah. And I also had
1: this thing in my head, like, what have we just done? This is insane. This is nuts. I am so regretful about doing this because it feels super foreign to me. And she said, he is asking for you. You have to go. You have to see him. Trust me. And so I walked into this place just with my stomach in my throat, my heart in my throat, everything on the table. And I'm waiting for him in one room and I hear him walking down the hall. And it was so surreal to me to see him come around the corner because immediately I was transported back to 1997 when I met him. And it was like his whole demeanor was back. It was wild.
0: Gives me the chills. What a moment for you. What a moment for him. So what did he say? He hugged me
1: and it was like the first truly connected hug. It really was like being reunited with someone you love so much that you haven't seen in such a long time. I could just feel every ounce of him in that hug. And at some point he looked at me and he said, I cannot believe you're still here. It was like this revelation of having blinders stripped. And, you know, a lot of things had happened over the years, like there was a lot of water under the bridge, but I knew that he knew. And so I didn't need a line item apology. I knew that he knew.
0: And has he spoken of what that experience was like? Because many speak of I Ibogaine as having a near-death experience or seeing all the things that you are making another feel, it can also show you the deep kind of shadow of how you've been showing up in the world. Did he express what his experience was like with Ibogaine? He did. He's
1: told me a lot about it. I don't know that he's told me absolutely everything. I know that the first experience for him, and I should also say, he's continued to go back year after year, like every 12 to 18 months for a reset. I don't know that he'll continue going forever, but he feels so like cognitively sound after Ibogaine, just in terms of what it's doing in the brain to your earlier point. But his first experience was really difficult. He threw up a lot. The facilitator there sitting with him said that he wanted to throw up because he just felt like he was purging trauma and ick and gore and all that was trapped in his subconscious and the Every time he would release that, he would feel a weight lifted. And so aside from the purging, there were really dark images that he saw. And then a mixture of points of time where it was me and the kids and like birds chirping and feelings of goodness. And then it would go into you know something from his childhood. He was able to process a lot of unresolved trauma from his father. He was bullied. As a child. And so to see his bullies as also being victims of being bullied, it just totally shifted his perspective. And of course, you know, the things that you mentioned as well how he was showing up, how he was impacting our kids and our relationship. And so he walked away feeling a lot lighter, a lot clearer, and a lot more convicted to be different. Going forward.
0: And did it at that time show him anything about the conditioning of the military and what his experience in the military had done to him? I don't think
1: that was a part of his journey. I think that, I mean, the work is never over. And so he's still processing and working, and he's had insights and revelations outside of the medicine. I would say maybe some of that, maybe just seeing like a common thread woven within our community or the special operations community and how the culture almost eroded his family.
0: To jump a little bit, and we'll come back to psychedelics and earth medicines and what you're doing, but just that piece there, the special ops, can you speak about what that is and what the community of special ops is and some of the dynamics that were at play there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a group of really highly trained unconventional thinkers that take care of one another at all costs. And so that I think it is, our mission success is largely attributed to the individuals that we're serving. The special operations community is no nonsense, hard charging, and at some point could easily become like a Greek tragedy. Like what makes you so strong, it can also be your complete undoing. And so finding that delicate balance of, you know, how to channel that sort of mindset into positivity and productivity without overdoing it is where a lot of the challenge lies. I would say that my personal observation has been that there is something that seemingly is similar in their early childhood that might propel them into special operations and or into the military in general. And so if you want to call the ego the voice that fuels them and this ability to turn off suffering or almost embrace suffering, they certainly seem to have that in common. And what psychedelics are doing for this community is quieting that voice. And giving them a different perspective on that voice no longer serving a purpose.
0: Some of the early child conditioning that you're speaking of, or maybe a thread that weaves through, when you're talking about the seeking, maybe some of them don't even feel pain for some reason, they've shut their bodies down, maybe due to early conditioning, and is that what you're saying, that when they're going through this process of elite training, elite connectivity to others, that maybe it comes from something from childhood?
1: I would say I would not be surprised if that were the case. My anecdotal observation as the spouse of someone in this community is that there's a very common thread. Marcus has been an SEAL instructor. And there are like Olympic athletes that don't get through SEAL training. It's not for lack of physicality. There's something different about the mindsets of those who make it. And so it's not like just I'm going to be tough and tough and tough this out. It seems to be more like an embracing of the most unimaginable suffering.
0: That makes you just want (laughs) to take a deep breath and say a prayer for all of them. Oh, my goodness. And what about the wives?
1: Oh, my gosh. You think that guys are tough.
0: Right. I'm saying there has to be some commonality there, too, because if there's a commonality between that personality and maybe it comes from early childhood conditioning, what were you seeing as far as the similarities between the wives?
1: So tough. Anyone in this community would give you the shirt off of their back. Someone said to me recently, like, how did you raise your children with Marcus gone so much and not having family around? It's because all my girlfriends were going through the exact same thing. And so, you know, you pick up one another, you help one another. I can't do justice to describing the spouse community. They really are the backbone. I think that the spouses and the children are the unsung heroes of the last 20 years because not only have they served as in a different capacity, but there's no recognition largely for them and they're very limited resources for them. And everyone generally thinks like, oh yeah, he's, he was a veteran. It's PTSD. We expect there to be challenges. But no one gives that same sort of grace or understanding or expectation to the spouses. And so there's a lot of resources for the veteran. There's a lot of programs and forgiveness, whatever, but there's not that for the spouse. And so it can actually be really frustrating and cause resentment.
0: I could see that. And then also you're probably witnessing the cost to your children, not having a father there, and then with those dynamics in the family, what that's doing to them, and then who's there for them, who's holding the traumas that they're experiencing. That must be must be really, really hard. So did any of the women, did any of the wives say, oh, I'm going to go do this work. I want to see what this is
1: like. We discovered pretty early on that if we didn't support the spouses, not only did they deserve it, but if we were giving the veteran an opportunity at this incredible healing it could actually be even more destabilizing within the home if one person has the opportunity to do this and the other one doesn't I've seen it all and I've experienced it when Marcus got back from his retreat even though it seemed like the best thing ever and I was like basking in this glow of 1997 when we got home it was like whoa whoa, whoa, what just happened and then you like you think you, you run the range of emotions from this is too good to be true, you catch yourself putting your guard down. And then you're like, oh, gosh, I got to get those walls back up. Or time goes on, and you're getting into a new pattern. And then he would have a bad day. And then it was like going back to square one, in some cases, but I've seen spouses have issue with the veteran getting this opportunity and they don't so then there's the resentment they don't understand it so they think that they don't want to be a part of it they don't want to know about it and it really does need to be approached as a team i've seen it cause so much relief that suddenly it's like safe to break i've seen it cause confusion like what just happened i don't even understand this i can't process the last 20 years let alone what just happened overnight It can be very, very disruptive if someone is not prepared. We've also had spouses say, like, this is the worst thing that he's ever done. This was the biggest mistake of our marriage. And so then we scramble the resources, reach out to the veteran, and he says, oh, no, 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 I'm great. I can't be around her unresolved trauma and anger and energy because it's impacting my healing. So very delicate balance.
0: Did you end up going down and working with Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT? No. Did any of the wives you know? Yeah, several. We And
1: VETS is pretty modality agnostic. We provide funding for six different modalities. And most of the spouses are actually doing psilocybin retreats, but some have done Ibogaine.
0: Let's talk about the six different modalities that VETS supports.
1: Ibogaine or Iboga. 5-MeO-DMT, ketamine, psilocybin, MDMA, ayahuasca. Of course, we haven't done anything with MDMA yet, but we're anticipating FDA approval next year. So we hope to be able to support people through uh, perhaps expanded access or uh, therapeutic use for PTSD. We're really interested in sponsoring a couple study around MDMA. So that's the one that we have the least amount of skin in the game with. And the most skin in the game, I would say, would be the Ibogaine 5-MeO-DMT protocol. So Ibogaine is really effective at showing someone, in essence, a rewind of their life. So maybe very traumatic memories that they had repressed to what you said earlier about how they're showing up today. It can be very therapeutic in closing the door on the past. 5-MeO-DMT on the other side of Ibogaine opens up the door to the future. So for someone who's dealing with a lot of compartmentalization, very common in the special operations community, repressed traumas or emotions, which is very core to survival for this population, they can finally unpack a lot of that. And then the 5-MeO generally like gives them a hope and purpose and renewed Zest for life again. And so they're excited about their future. They feel connected again. And this is like a very connected group of individuals. We're used to operating in community. And so when people transition out of the military and into the civilian world, not only do they not have their people, they feel like many times that society doesn't understand them. And so once they're reconnected to true self, to God, to their family, to nature, to others that are on this journey, that in and of itself is very, very healing.
0: As you were describing kind of the men and the compartmentalization that it takes to survive in the military and the ways that, you know, even the body shuts down and the all the, all the things that the men experience, I'm thinking as you're saying that, like, wow, I can imagine that for mothers and women, it's the same, because there you are as the protector of your children. In some ways, you're probably trying to protect them even from what's happening with your husband and what he's going through and then what the couple's going through. So there's all this compartmentalization in your own feelings as a woman. And I'm sure partly too, you don't feel like outside of the military, who understands this? Who could understand how difficult a journey that was that you just went through. So, you did not do Ibogaine and Fabian Mio, but did you have an experience with earth medicines to heal some of what you went through?
1: No. And I'm going to tell you why. First of all, I think it's a dangerous narrative to say that like these therapies are the end all be all. I think if you're stuck or if you feel called, they're really, really critical tool to do the work. I do not think that they're the only way to do the work. And I feel that when I feel called, I will answer the call. However, we're talking to a lot of people who will be very important to furthering this movement. And I haven't felt called because I think it's important to be able to speak their language and not come across as having participation bias or having drunk the kool-aid this is a part of my strategy and i would never rob myself the opportunity of doing uh one of the therapies if i felt called but i haven't and i think one of the reasons that i haven't felt called is because for the two a two-year period leading into this experience so beginning 2015 early 2016 i began my own healing journey and i did that by visiting a therapist which i was accustomed to being in therapy i'd been in therapy since i was a teenager for this that or the other like just it was a part of my life in a way that was like this is a paid friend and you go and you basically like bitch and complain for an hour every week and so my model of therapy was massive victimization. And that was perpetuated by therapists who allowed me to do that. I started seeing a therapist who said, you have, like, I I sat down and I was trying to go, you know, go through all the backstory about why I'd been wronged mostly by Marcus and it was victim, 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 blah, blah, blah. And she said, I hear you. And it really sounds like your husband has a long way to come, but this isn't about your husband. You came to see me because of you. And so get it all out this session because next session forward, this is about you. And it was the first time that a therapist held me accountable to no longer circling the drain. And she helped me climb out of this place by doing the work on me. And so every single day I showed up for myself every day for years. I mean, I still do. And that for me looked like a journal my Bible, and sitting in complete surrender. And as I would sit for months, weeks, months, which has become years, I actually went down, 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 and all these things started coming up as I would sit. It was childhood. It was marriage. It was current day. It was future. It was everything that was like needing to come out of these compartmentalized boxes. And I would sit and I would process it and I would pray and I would receive and I would write and it would, it was gnarly. But I was committed to doing it every single day. And sometimes it was 15 minutes and sometimes it was hours. And sometimes I would cry, laugh. Sometimes I would get nothing. Sometimes I would draw right. It didn't matter. I just, I showed up and then it showed up. And so once I sort of bottomed out and realized all these things, like it was my responsibility. I can no longer play the victim or put it on everyone else. I had to let go of the idea that I could save Marcus or I could save my marriage. I had to completely surrender to taking care of myself and so on the climb out after I had bottomed out I started seeing and having all of these downloads and inputs that were just truly divine and supernatural and I have written about what's happening today at the worst time of my life when I thought I was going to lose Marcus to suicide I'm writing about what's happening today which made absolutely no sense to me so can psychedelics get someone there In two and a half days, but it took me two and a half years? Yes. But is the process the same? Absolutely. And am I still showing up for myself? Yes. So I think it's important for me to maintain that message of it's not about psychedelics. It's about self. And it's getting in touch with self and creator and understanding that surrender has more power in it than trying to control absolutely everything.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, like you said, earth medicines and psychedelics are a tool, but there are many tools and it sounds like you really found the tools that work for you. I mean, ultimately, we are our own medicine. And so it sounds like for you, you found your path of healing in this that worked for you. And so that's that's beautiful. And then I'm sure in your own process too, You've done a lot of work. You've done a lot of work for the veterans, the wives, their families. What is the current mission with VETS? So
1: VETS provides robust programmatic services to hundreds of veterans. Every year, we welcome between 200 and 250 new veterans and their families into our pipeline. At the core, we provide funding for veterans to leave the United States for access to these medicines simultaneously we're always doing research in the United States with a goal of pairing the voices alongside the data to advocate for change at the state and federal levels around you know policy so we have a policy and advocacy team coming together to really get to work on those initiatives but to date we've done a lot at the state level and we're doing more I'd say now at the federal level to hopefully provide access to, all veterans in the U.S. because let's be honest, 200 to 250 per year is a drop in the bucket.
0: This has been an incredible story, an incredible journey that you've been on. How are you and Marcus doing now individually and together? So good. I
1: had to be on my own independent healing journey. I had to put my oxygen mask on so that I could help him where before I had guilted him shamed him criticized him didn't even realize I did it because it was out of my own pain when I was able to take care of my own pain I was able to see him through eyes of grace and love and then I was able to approach him in grace and love and That was the beginning of everything shifting. So I've put in my work my way. He's put in his work his way. And we've worked on our relationship together. And it's been beautiful. I've always dreamed of having this marriage with him. And it's like so surreal that it's actually our truth.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. What a beautiful thing. All that work. That whole process that you went through, how are your kids doing? Great. It's like when there's a shift
1: at that core fundamental level within the home, the ripple out effect is incredible. And it's not just our kids, it's their kids. You know, I think about, too, the power of one life. Marcus was really close to taking his own life. I knew that. We could feel that. It was palpable. It felt imminent. And just looking back, we've had our heads down working relentlessly over the last five and a half years I don't think we fully comprehend the impact that the vet's mission is having in the world and all of that is because Marcus was willing to fight for himself for his family for his fellow veterans granted we're doing this together but the power of one life rippling out into the world the power of our kid's dad Fighting so hard for our family. I think about if he would have taken his life and how different our lives would be and how their kids' lives would be impacted. It's just really powerful and surreal.
0: Wow. And what is your hope today for a veteran out there listening and for the work that you're continuing to do together? What hope do you have and where could you point a veteran, veteran's family?
1: My hope for veterans would be that they would hold on to hope because as someone who has faced complete hopelessness, to be living a life that is a little crazy <laughs> because of I know, all the demands on our time and everything, but so full of hope and happiness and love. And it really is possible to transform your life. I would say, hold on to that hope. It is also my hope that veterans will be able to access these therapies here in the United States. And I hope that when that is the case, it's done so in a thoughtful, respectable manner that focuses on the supplemental supports like therapy, preparation, integration. These are not magic bullets. They're not any sort of panacea. I think that there's a misconception in the veteran community that like, oh, you just get your hands on psychedelics and your problems will just go away automatically. They enable you potentially to do the really hard work, but they can also be further traumatizing if someone is not supported.
0: Yeah, definitely. They can be destabilizing and then further destabilizing for a family if there's not preparation and integration and really held in care. Now, I know around the country right now, there are other organizations doing this, same kind of work. Do you kind of get together and unite and share resources?
1: There's one other organization, Heroic Hearts, which is doing incredible work. We're on a lot of panels together. We do a lot of consulting and advising alongside one another. But yeah, I think that in the nonprofit space, you never know when you're up against extinction. And so in terms of sharing resources, like coaches or Veteran mentors did absolutely.
0: Yeah. Anything else that you feel would be beneficial for someone listening who has a partner who's suffering, who's suicidal, who's a veteran? What would you say to them? I would say keep
1: fighting. Don't give up the fight and don't give up hope, but also fight for yourself, fight for your kids, and know that ultimately. You can't save someone. And I don't want that to come across the wrong way. Marcus had to be willing to fight alongside me. I had to give up the notion that I could fix him, save him, even help him if he wasn't willing to receive it. And so when I finally put it all on the line and came to the conclusion that I may have to walk away and I stopped trying to force a square peg in a round hole, things started to come together.
0: Yeah, just that adjustment of taking care of you and removing yourself from the rescue savior role. So how can people find you and get help from your organization?
1: We have quite the wait list. So we exist off of donations. The best way to help us help more veterans would be through donation. We have the donation link as well as the application link on our website, which is vetsolutions.org. And um, we do have a pretty hefty wait list right now, but everything is available there on our website. Lots of information. We also have an e-course for veterans who are super new to this idea. They don't have a clue about psychedelics, which was certainly our uh, personal situation. The e-course is really great and it's
0: free. And so how many people have gone through your programs?
1: Starting in 2018, You know, a month or two after Marcus's experience, we launched a grassroots effort, which was replaced with our official organization, VETS, which is the 501c3, in 2019. So between the grassroots and where we sit today... We have provided funding for over 800 veterans to leave the United States for access to these medicines. But the crown jewel of our program is the support that we provide before and after someone's experience. So it's everything from one on one coaching, from our incredible integration coaching team, to group integration, meditation training, workshops, community platform. It's really, really important to not to underestimate the power of healing and community.
0: Now, have you teamed up with different coaching organizations or are you doing the training yourself? How's that working? Marcus is actually working
1: on a training element of his new project Tara Mind. I wish we could be all things to all people, but right now we're working with therapists who are also certified coaches. And because the space is so segmented, some of them are MAPS trained, some of them are CIIS trained, or Naropa, or they're going through the vital program. They all have something, but we're not providing the training. We hope to do that in partnership with Tara, though, on the veteran piece.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your story. I just like my heart, like when you were telling the story of what it was like for you while Marcus was going through and picturing you as a mother with these two children taking on the load of the healing for him and your family and then just what you felt like after the Ibogaine and to know that how many years out you are from the Ibogaine experience and and you've kind of turned this into a life path in service that you've both been in since he went into the service.
1: Yeah we're very much geared towards service, both of us. Marcus has always been in a service role, even his very first job as a lifeguard, always looking out for everyone else. And on the mom piece, my kids are what pushed me out of my comfort zone. And the final thing for me was when our daughter, she was really upset. And she said, mom, how much longer do we have to do this? And That was the first time that it hit me that, yeah, I was tough. My dad taught me never, ever, ever quit. And so I was able to stand in this very uncomfortable space with Marcus, but we weren't making any progress. But I was forcing them to stand alongside us. And they'd already been through so much. And so I just thought, we don't have to do this one more day. Because if I have to choose between their father and them. I have to choose them. I will always choose them. And then it hit me that by choosing them, this is like weeks later, I was ready to call it. And I thought I'm young enough. I feel good enough that I can have a whole second half of my life. I can find happiness again. He will always be their father. And I might always love him, but like, And I might be able to like separate myself from him, but they can't. And so I've got to try one more thing to know that I've tried everything because this is going to be with them for the rest of their life. So it really is my kids that pushed me into taking a leap and breaking our cycle of insanity.
0: And how grateful are you to the medicine, Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT,
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I'm not grateful to the medicine. I'm grateful to the creator of the medicine. I'm grateful. The gifter. Yes. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a breakthrough till I was, it. I don't even have words for how hard I prayed. And yet my conditioning was more or less that it had to fit my mold of what the world told me healing was that it had to be prescribed by someone in a lab coat with a stethoscope made by another man. And I had to recondition everything that what had been called a drug was actually medicine. And what had been called medicine was actually a drug. And so when I was able to make that shift and realize that my healing was at hand Marcus's healing was at hand by a plant that God put on earth. It all made sense to me. And I'm so grateful for it because all those things I was saying earlier in the podcast with Marcus's cognition, his executive functioning, his lack of memory and ability to think straight, all of that is also gone. So the trauma's purged. He no longer has any... Desire for alcohol. He's got a spiritual connection that could only have come from the nuclear option. And his brain is back. Ibogaine does that. Nothing else on earth can do that.
0: And 5 MEO DMT, whether, yeah, also connects you to that infinite spirit God and allows you to have a visceral experience of that like a felt sense of it and there are many people blessed to have that experience without earth medicines and through prayer or meditation and then sometimes when it gets so dark for someone it that's it's hard to access because maybe the depression or what was going on in the brain we don't know but the gift of the combination of those two medicines is so powerful like you really had a miracle
1: Oh, it felt like it. It, And yet my Western conditioning, even afterwards, when things seemed too good to be true, was something that I had to spend weeks working through. And I was still working with my amazing therapist. And she said, okay, let's just unpack this week by week. And so over the course of about six weeks, I had this whole new appreciation for what had been done, what the miracle that had been delivered to us and that doesn't mean that marcus didn't have bad days or that he didn't put in a lot of hard work but just to have the opportunity to do that without the fear that you're going to walk in to find a suicide scene there was a peace that was emerging that was more palpable than the fear of suicide and he continued to show up for himself and he still does just like i had begun to do
0: yeah. And I think it is important. So I'll just like highlight it again. One of the aspects that you said, <laughs> it's so funny because it's like, it is a magic pill and it's not a magic pill. Um, it created all these incredible miracles for you. And it does for many people. It re—it does things that we can't even comprehend. The, even the idea of not wanting to drink anymore. Ibogaine is known to really work on some of the areas of the brain where addiction is perseverative So there is all this beauty about it. And one of the things I also want to highlight is that what you said is it does take the commitment, the work, the support staff, the therapy, the integration, and all of that, like to really be where your husband is. Yeah. He had at that point, 40 years of conditioning that had
1: to be totally reworked. And so. He's worked very hard at getting out of his negative thought patterns, pivoting, pivoting, pivoting to new thought patterns. And over time, he's been able to do that. I'd actually done that myself. I used to be the perpetual victim, total pessimist. Everything had a negative tilt. And one of the ways that I was able to overcome that was for every negative thought or frustrating event, I would force myself to find two good things about it. And so it just takes that sort of commitment to keep going back, to keep rooting into those new patterns and not revert back to your old way of being. And, it, you know, psychedelics are really great. Earth medicines are really great at putting that fresh layer over your old, deep-rooted tracks.
0: Whew. So thank you so much. I will put... All of your goodness in the show notes about vets and the ways that people can contact you and reach out. I know you have a a long waiting list and I know that you're in need of donations. So I'll put any information that you have for ways for people to support the vets. It's a nonprofit. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So to support your nonprofit. And yeah, if there's any last thing that you want to say, you're welcome to. I would
1: say show up for yourself and keep doing the work. It doesn't have to be with psychedelics, but it is important to keep showing up for yourself every single day. Find the puzzle pieces that work for you and commit to putting it together every single day. Another misconception I had was that Marks and I had to have identical replicas of the same puzzle what works for me doesn't work for him and what works for him doesn't work for me and that's completely fine we celebrate those differences now but we're committed to putting our own puzzle together every day
0: okay thank you yeah thank you so much such courage And I'm thinking of what you had said before about the ripple effect, you know, if Marcus had taken his life, what that would have meant for your children. And now we can look at a completely different ripple effect of what you two are creating in the world and uh, pretty beautiful. So I'd love to keep in touch and let us know how it's going and uh, any changes or any updates. We'd love to have you back. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And
1: we'll definitely take you up on that and keep you posted on anything new.
0: If you enjoyed today's show and want to help build a more beautiful, conscious, and loving world, please share this content with friends, family, and colleagues. You can follow this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. And I'd really appreciate you taking the time to write a review so that others can find these amazing conversations. And if you'd like to see a video version of the show, you can find me on YouTube. Feel free to reach out and connect with me at thepsychedelicmom.com or message me on Instagram at the mom. And remember, you are the medicine.